You're listening to Emmanuel Christian Center's podcast. Join us as we jump into our series, Keeping It 100, Ancient Wisdom from 1 Corinthians. Whether it be polarization, division, arrogance, sexuality, personal freedoms, or the truth of eternity, the Apostle Paul didn't shy away from difficult topics. Join us as we keep it real and learn how to live authentically in the modern world with age-old problems. If you had the answers to these questions, how different would your world be? We're excited to see what God is going to do in your story. Get ready. God is on the move. Good morning, Emmanuel. How many of you love Jesus today? You love him? It's great to be in church. Big shout out to all of our locations, Lakeville, Elk River, Maple Grove, Spring Lake Park, and those joining online. It's a great day to gather back together again and worship Jesus and just uh, be together. And uh, we've been in this series. We're in the second week of a series, Keeping It 100. And last week, when we were together, I kind of shared a few new things with you. One of them is there's a booklet, a participant guide that you're able to get. If you haven't gotten one, I encourage you to get one in our lobbies. You can join a group, uh, start a group, or be a part of a group, and take the messages on Sunday and turn it into a discussion sometime during the week. It's really important for me, not just for you to be hearers of the Word, but activate it by conversation, connecting with others, processing it, and even some of the information that we'll be sharing today. It's best if you take the time to go spend it with other people, other believers, and just share your real thoughts. That's when it becomes real and living and active inside of you. Last week, just a couple things I want you to note before we step into this message today. And the first thing was this, is we talked about the final 10% of truth to offer in a conversation. I talked about how in all of the staff meetings and the meetings that I run and lead at Emmanuel, and perhaps you could do in business or in your context, it's important to not withhold that final 10%, that important information that may be painful. Maybe someone might not like it, but it's helpful to the rest of the group. Don't withhold that final 10%. Give it. It's useful. As Proverbs 27 says, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. And I think within the context of the church, we're looking at the letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians. In that context, Paul was addressing the Corinthian church, and he was not going to withhold his final 10%. He was going to share what he was thinking about. And of course, he was addressing division. They were fighting each other. And division is divided vision, separate and competing visions. And if you have separate and competing visions in a marriage, separate and competing visions in a business, separate and competing visions in the world that you're in or in a church, you can't win. It's divided. So Paul is saying, don't, don't be divided, get unified, be of one heart, one mind, be underneath the vision and the leadership of Jesus. Don't get hung up on the people and miss Jesus in the middle of it. We want to hear his voice. Can I get an amen to that? Today, part two is this, people pursuing Jesus. Say that with me, people pursuing Jesus. Some of the best friendships that I have are people with whom I can drop my guard and share the internal battles of my heart with. Lee Cummings, a pastor I've had come and speak here before, he and I became close friends in the fourth grade. It's been a real gift to have a friend like Lee over the many years. And in our journey, we've had ups and downs. We got married. We've had kids now, and both of us have grandkids now. And and we pastored churches in different states. And so we can share things with each other. 
And I can share things that I feel great about, my relationship with the Lord, but I can also share my temptations and my struggles. And in the darker seasons, I would share with him my true thoughts, times when I felt like quitting, having a harder time with just hanging in there. And marriage has its ups and downs too. There's things that are great and things that aren't. And I could share it with Lee. And there were times with my job, I'm like, I, I can't take it anymore. I want to quit. But Lee wouldn't just pat me on the back and say, go ahead, give in to your feelings or your despair. Go ahead and quit. No, he would say, bro, I get it. I've got times like that in my life. But he'd say, you have to hang in there. You have to say no to sin. You have to keep your commitments. In the church community that Paul is challenging, that's the dream he wants to see within the church. Relationships where nobody is perfect. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm not perfect and neither are you. <laughs> but here's the difference. In the community of Jesus, people pursuing Jesus, people are committed to finding integrity in the middle of temptation. A place where grace to overcome the power of sin is present, not a place where that same sin is overlooked. Ultimately, the church would be a place that outsiders could look at to see a community of hope, people who keep it 100. And unfortunately, the church that Paul had planted several years before had become a place that had lost that sense of hope. They no longer provided hope to, to the community around them. And the influence of the world around the church had slipped in. It had moved into the church. That kind of Corinth drive, the pursuit of pleasure, the attitude of I can do whatever I want to has taken over. And it wasn't just the behavior of the individuals in the church that he's concerned about. Now the community as a whole had become casual with sin. So Paul addresses these attitudes and actions in chapters 5 through 7 of his letter. And we're going to look at those today. And I want us to read through these chapters and let the word of God seep in. And I want you to understand the context that he's writing to was Corinth. Corinth was this world city where commerce and business and people were coming from all over the world. And they were pursuing their own desires. Pleasure was at the high point. Do whatever feels good. That's what Corinth was. And the only difference between Corinth and today is the internet. The access to different ideas. But there were so many different things going on. And so I want you to understand that Paul's writing this letter to be read in the church. And as it's read in churches, these were small gatherings of people in houses. There weren't these large auditoriums like we sit in today. The believers were gathered together. And someone would stand up and read the letter to the church. And the church had a responsibility to hear what was being said. So today, I'm going to have a narrator or a reader that's not me read through this. And my wife, Pastor Jody, she's going to read and she's going to be our narrator. And uh, she's going to walk through portions. And I'm just going to give my thoughts as Paul speaks to us. Let the church hear what the Spirit is saying to the church through 1 Corinthians. Go ahead, Jody, chapter one, uh, 5, verse 1. I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. 
All right, here we go. We're already in. You're like, we're talking about this in church. Yes, we are, because it's in the Bible. All right? And what we have here is Paul's keeping it 100. And he says there is sexual immorality in the church. What is sexual immorality? Well, biblically, sexual immorality is anything outside of God's instructions, his boundaries. Do you know that he has a good way, uh, the best way for us to handle relationships in our bodies? He knows what's best. And in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, marriage was the context for sexual relationship. And it was to be between a man and a woman. That's what you see in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there was a prohibition from sex outside of this. And apparently, there was scandalously more sexuality going on in the church than outside of the church. A man has sex with his stepmom. And even ordinary people that aren't religious know that ain't right. And verse 2 says that the church is proud of themselves for allowing him in their church. The people of the church affirmed that behavior. And the man was well known in the church. They had approved of it in a sense. And they felt good. Isn't it cool? We let that in our church. That's what was going on in Corinth. So Paul says, you should remove the man from fellowship. Go ahead, Jody. Even though I am not with you in person, I am with you in the spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Well, this is a tough portion of Scripture to go, okay, what's going on here? Well, he's saying, listen... This is a serious issue, and it's a community issue, and you can't overlook it. Paul says you have to stop it immediately. Allowing it to continue will not help this man or the stepmom. Just letting it go isn't going to help them. And as long as it's overlooked, the sin will rage and destroy and the action of handing him over to Satan is not a spiritual transaction that literally gives his soul to Satan. No, he's already under the power of sin. This man is already being manipulated by the enemy himself. So the goal is, by releasing him from being affirmed for what he is doing, he can find a place of repentance where his eyes are open so that he will flee from the sin and pursue Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying here? So the goal is not kick people out of the church because they did something wrong. And just because somebody does something wrong is not a reason to kick people out of church, by the way. Because we'd all get kicked out today, right? <laughs> but what he's saying is we have an individual that is unrepentant, proud of his sin, and unwilling to change. And Paul says he's not going to get any better by coming to church the next three weeks. You need to remove him, get him in a place where, you know, sin causes pain in people's lives. Get him in a place where his eyes are open to his own heart, where he'll want to bow his knee and get right with God. So that's what he's saying here. The goal is to see that man's eyes open. Go ahead, next verse. 
this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. So Paul is warning the church, hey, this isn't just an individual issue. It actually impacts everyone, the whole did you know there are unintended consequences to your sin? It impacts more than just you. It's not just my choice, my consequence. No, our actions impact others. Parents with their kids, think about this. To this day, I will meet people in church, after church. I'll meet people in, in, in counseling settings as a pastor. And as I'm talking with them, they could be grown adults. And a lot of their issues still go back to when they were a kid and things their parents did. When mom and dad don't get their life right, it impacts the kids. And Paul is saying, listen, don't think this is just one guy over here. Don't mess with it. Don't talk about it. It's going to impact everybody else. And so you've got to pay attention to it. And he's saying what they're overlooking it. And by overlooking it, they're giving permission for this virus to spread. Listen, what's tolerated or celebrated gets repeated. What's tolerated or celebrated gets repeated. Go ahead, next verse. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. This is a big chunk of scripture here again, but first of all, he's saying there's a difference between inside and outside. This instruction is not to be a finger pointing at the world outside the church. Look what they're doing over there. No, 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 no. That's not what the church is supposed to be doing. This is actually meant for us in the church. God's going to take care of those outside. So the instructions are meant for the people in the community. And as the Jesus community lives, our relationships are different than those outside the church. This is a different way. This is, we're following the way, the truth, and the life. Other people don't. That's okay. Do what you're going to do. But within the church, we follow Jesus' way. And when he says judging, he's not talking about angry, judgmental people. I mean, there's been enough of that sometimes in religious circles where people have been angry and judgmental and finger-pointing. That's not what Paul is saying. And don't misuse what he's saying either. But he's really talking about being accountable. In fact, if you were to replace the word judging with accountable, there's to be mutual accountability. We are to notice when our brothers and sisters are struggling. 
We're not to overlook it. And the word judge means to speak your mind. In other words, share it with them. Don't withhold that final 10%. Care about those people. If you see somebody that is struggling or giving in to sin, we're not just to go, whoa, whoa, and watch them go on a downward spiral. No, we're to lean in and care about them. And it's not shaming. It's accountability in the Jesus community. We care about each other. Turn to the person to your right and your left. Say, hey, I care about you. <laughs> care about you. It could read, don't hang out with and overlook the sin that is corrupting your church family. Don't just reaffirm it. Get it out. Keeping it 100 means that you care, that you won't overlook it. And specifically, he don't overlook those who claim to be a believer, yet indulge in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Now, many people will automatically just point out the sexual part, uh, sin part of that, but he also says those that worship idols or are abusive. Listen, in the church, we ought not be abusing each other. If you see somebody that's abusing their spouse, you can't overlook it. You don't overlook it. Listen, guys, if I see you abuse your spouse in our church, and I'm in the hallway, I've got a pastor part of me, and i got a human part of me. Now, thankfully, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I do have the five-fold ministry, but I choose to use it to pray. That's what I choose to do, okay? Pray for you. But we don't overlook those things in the church. We don't overlook people that, you know, the drunkard part, we don't point fingers. You know, there's lots of reasons people end up being alcoholics or addicts, trauma, and other things that have gone in their life, and one thing has led to another. But we don't just let them stay where they're at. That's why we partner with Teen Challenge, by the way. And I'm thankful for Teen Challenge and all the graduates that are in our church. We believe in, we believe in you being whole. We're not going to, and listen, sometimes people fall off the wagon. Sometimes people make a step aside. That's not a reason to cancel, but it's not a reason to overlook either. We need to step in and address it. It's accountability. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Or cheats people, he says. If you're in your business world, you're, 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 you're handling money, transactions, those kind of things, you're in sales, don't cheat other people. Just because everybody else upsells people beyond where they need, need to spend money doesn't mean you need to do that. Follow a different ethical code of conduct with Jesus. We do the justice thing, the right thing by people. And we believe that when we tithe, by the way, God's going to take care of everything anyways. He's our provider. So we don't need to make things happen unethically. All right, I'm going to end that section. Go ahead, Jody. When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among our, yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? 
So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why do you go go outside judges who are not respected by the church? I am saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. So I'm not going to go too long on this commentary-wise. But he says, don't take your issues with church people to be resolved by people outside the church. Outsiders don't understand the values of the church. And they miss out on biblical confrontation pathways when you do it the wrong way. Listen, if you got something wrong with somebody, you go to them and you share it. If they resist it, Matthew 18 says, then you go back with another believer and you share. So there's a pathway to resolving conflict, ignoring it, being passive aggressive, subtweeting, throwing it out there somehow and to the world around. Is not going to make the world look better at the church? I think sometimes we got to look at the rules for the kingdom are different than the social media rules of our day and age. We shouldn't be the ones that are out there on social media judging other churches, judging other people. That's what he's saying. There's a different way to handle that. Listen, I've got people and I post anything on social media that are not believers watching everything that I do. Paul is saying, hey, don't resolve it internally. Don't throw out and mess up the gospel. People are looking at the church and they're going, I don't want to be a part of that group of people. All they do is shout out each other, tear each other down. Why would I want to join that family? Of course, we're not to avoid keeping it 100 in love with each other, but don't do it out there. Do it in, do it in here. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Go ahead. Next verse. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And remember, Corinth is a city of selfish pursuit. Do what you want. You're the center of truth. And even in the culture around it, sex was a part of a religion. They had a thousand temple prostitutes. People had fused religion and sex. So this is everywhere around the church. And so the kind of the rule of the day was do what you want. People everywhere committed adultery. They worshiped idols. They were abusive. They cheated people. They indulged in sexual sin. They were thieves. And their actions, not their identity, their actions prevent the benefits of the kingdom from being theirs right now. It's like a signal blocker. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, don't you get it? You do these things, you're not going to have access to the kingdom of God even right now. He's not just talking about eternally. Well, that's a part of the story. He's saying, listen, if you want the fruit of the Spirit, if you want the life of the Spirit, if you want the power of God in your life, 
then don't do these things. They block the kingdom of God from reaching you. Next verse. Some were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Some of you were, ever said were, once like that. And he lists a whole bunch of different things. People get hung up on different words in there. But listen, he's saying your identity was in what your activity was. You found your identity in your appetites, in your attractions. That's what you found your identity in. But then Jesus steps in and the creator recalls that you were made in the image of God. His imago Dei. And now you're called according to what Jesus calls you. See, the church was full of people who used to identify by all those things, but now they identify by Jesus. Listen to what Paul says to Galatians in Galatians chapter 3. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes, There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. When we try to merge other identities with Jesus, it doesn't work. We're not Republican Christians. We're not Democrat Christians. We're not Packer Christians and Viking Christians. All right? We don't need to merge what we used to do with who we follow. 100% of our identity is in Jesus now. Now, the day and age that we live in They want us to identify with whatever our appetites are, our emotions, or our desires are for the moment. But your desires and your emotions and your attractions will betray you. You'll reach out for it and it'll be like like grabbing a puff of smoke. (laughs) When you get there, it won't fill the void that's on the inside. So church, if we were to hear Paul's words to us in this day, a modern day Corinth, He would say to you and I, listen, don't get so hung up on your identity being in your your sexuality or hung up on your identity being in your desires. Bring your desires, bring your identity underneath Jesus. Be obedient to Jesus and follow what he wants. Listen, if you follow the way that Jesus wants, you follow the truth, the truth will set you free. If you follow your desires, you'll end up in the ditch. So the question isn't, who were you? The question is, who are you now? Next verse. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. 
The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Freedom results in something else controlling you. It's not freedom. And so Paul is saying the day and age that he was speaking to, the common ideology was I have the right to do anything. As if God isn't a part of those decisions. And simply put, as he speaks to the church, that he's saying, that may be the way Corinth talks about it. But let me talk to you about as Jesus followers. They're willing to embrace the cross as the answer to their personal need for salvation. Yet they were unwilling to embrace the call to follow Christ as Lord. They took the salvation, but ultimately lived for themselves. Our body isn't meant for sexual immorality or pleasing ourselves, but for the Lord. We are meant to follow him. Next verse. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So he's saying that the physical and the spiritual are connected. That when people join together in sexual union, the two become one. Let me take you back to the days when I was a youth pastor. And, uh, and I would speak in local public schools, and they would bring me in when they were doing their sexuality classes. I would come in and do an abstinence session. I called it postponement. Because God's not against sex. There's just a right way to do it. And when I say right, I don't mean that, you know, it's a legalistic thing. He actually knows, like, the, the owner's manual, the way we're made physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And the best way for a relationship to bond together. And so physically speaking, he's saying that when a man and a woman come together physically, that there's more than the bodies coming together. That there's also a soul region that connects and bonds when the two become one. So whether they're married or not, the two become one. There's a soulish connection. So in the day and age that we live in of free hookups and all kinds of other things where people are just doing whatever they want to do, they don't realize it's not just your body you're messing with. On the soul level, there is something that ties you or chains you to another. It's connected. And when you break up, it rips part of you out. Because you did more with your body, you did more with your soul. And so Paul is saying, hey, listen, there's a right way to do this. When I would teach it in the, in the classes, some of the students would look at me and they would smile like I was old-fashioned. But actually, I, I, I think it's just basic common sense. Because if, if, if all you do is you spend time hooking up all over the place and you got pieces of yourself all over, why, why do you have a hard time having relationships? Because you didn't follow the owner's manual. Now, I don't want anybody to feel shame right now. In fact, right now, if you've already gone too far and you've done all those things, I'd, God has not given us a, a spirit of condemnation. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. 
So you're not, you can, you can receive forgiveness. You can be made new now, emotionally, mentally, and all of that. But listen, in the future, it's on you. What you do next with your body, that's on you. And I know this, when it comes to marriage, the, the best way possible, when a man and a woman are able to wait until they're married, they've said their vows, then they consummate the marriage, it becomes like cement on the soul level. They don't have to worry about the other one ditching on them because they've waited till that moment. That's truly God's best for you. It may sound archaic and ancient in this day and age, but I'm just telling you that's the best. Now, if you've gone away from the best, the best thing you can do is steer your ship back to God's best. Not just kind of keep repeating all the mistakes you've made. If you're in a place right now where you're having sex outside of marriage, then I encourage you, get married. You're like, oh, I'm not ready to get married. Then don't have sex. But we're living together. Then get married. I love it if people, couples wanted to get married. They lined up with all our pastors on our staff and said, I need to get married. We're like, yes, we want to help you with that. Don't perpetuate things that actually will destroy your relationship in the long run. <laughs> we don't want to tug a war between the world and God. All right, Jody. One from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. I love that text. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who what lives in you. See, ultimately, our desire as a church is not that we would be perfect. There's no perfect people allowed. But that when we gather together, and yes, we still have tug of war with temptations and sins, all of us do at different seasons. But when we come together, our desire is to find his grace to help us overcome the sin. I want people that come to church to be free. Because when you're free and you're connected to the presence of God, and you know Jesus, whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. Not perfect. Still got scars, but I'm becoming more and more like him. And in the community that gathers together, we want God's presence among us so that he can heal the sick, that he can heal marriages, that he can mend broken hearts, that he can put lives back together again. And for us, that may mean that we need to lean in and confess our sin one to another. And then we'll be healed, as the scripture says. Some of us in here, maybe we're in a place in our season of life where, to be honest, we just got caught in sin. And maybe you're in church right now and you're like, oh man, I feel like the pastor's pointing his finger at me and the scripture's at me. I don't want you to run out these doors and think, 
that the church is pointing its finger at. No, I would rather you see the picture of Jesus who walked up to a woman who was about to be stoned by a group of people who was caught into adultery. And Jesus walks up to that group of people and he bends down in the sand and he writes in the sand. And some, some scholars are like, what is he writing? Maybe he was writing the names of all the mistresses of the people holding the stones. <laughs> That's a little imagination there. But then he got up and he said, he without sin cast the first stone. And then he turned to the woman and he said, he didn't say, I affirm your sin. He didn't say, you're okay. Keep doing what you were doing. No, what did he say? Go and sin no more. So when you find Jesus, it's a matter of saying, I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm not going to follow my sin any longer. I'm going to find the hope that he has for me. Would you stand with me on each of our locations today? Today, that question of who are you now is a great question because ultimately we want God to have our heart, not just a little bit, but our whole heart. And we want him to know us and we want to follow Jesus into the future. And we want to have the courage to say the difficult thing to our sisters and brothers. We want to have the confidence and integrity that when somebody talks to us, that they love us, that we're not going to be a condemning culture. We're going to be a freeing culture. Listen, I'll tell you what, even in that, I mean, there are some things I don't do that I could do. Like Paul was saying, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So like for me, I don't drink alcohol. I don't drink alcohol because I don't, not because I think it's evil sin that anybody ever drinks alcohol. No, but when I'm in church, and I'm leading a group of people on any given Sunday, I have several hundred people that are trying to overcome drugs and alcohol. And as a shepherd, I don't want that thing going through my veins when I'm trying to free other people from the same thing. I just can't do it. And I'm just saying the principle is a community chasing and pursuing Jesus. It means there's some things we just don't do we're not pointing the finger at anybody else, but because in my own heart, I want to be committed to him. I want to be the habitation for the presence of the Lord. I want to be that temple where God uses me to see other people set free. Are you hearing what I'm saying, church? That's what it means to be a group of people who follow Jesus. We're going to sing today in each of our locations a song. I actually asked for it because I love the verses of the song. This becomes the, kind of the enter or save on the message as you process it and talk to the Lord today. But may God help us be everything that Paul was speaking about in this letter when we walk out these doors. May God add to our number daily people who are being saved and transformed. Amen. And may he use you and I to be a part of his story. Go ahead and put your hands like this, Father. We just come before you right now. And we thank you, Lord, that you know us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to sit here and feel guilty or sorry when we confess our sins. You are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So even now, Lord, we just come before you, open hearts, open minds, nothing held back. We give you permission to shine your light on our hearts to change us and transform us. 
I pray, oh God, that you'd also give us the, Lord, the, the ministry of accountability. That, Lord, we be a part of other people's stories. To see them grow. To not let them, Lord, stay in the place that they're in. To, to see them transform. And so we put our lives in your hands, oh God, even in this moment. We're yours in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into community, or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.